Jesus wants to bring an understanding. The Holy Spirit wants to bring understanding to us. But are we going to dive deep enough to get there? Hey everyone, welcome back to the Echo Church Podcast. Today we have our first of hopefully many deep dives. Here's the idea. Every Sunday we hear a message. It's something relatable and practical. However, only so much can be talked about during a Sunday morning service. And you might have some questions. And since we don't do Q&A at the end of a service, we're going to do that here on the podcast. We're going to have different folks sit down with Andy and Christy or whoever is speaking this Sunday and ask them questions and go a bit deeper on the topic and concept. Today, Andy and Scott Scholl sit down to talk about cultivating the ground. First, the message. It's about four or five minutes, this excerpt. And then Scott and Andy will be on to talk more about it. Let's get into it. We don't want to be downers, but the Bible promises troubles are going to come. Christy was mentioning the if and when concept. It's not if troubles come. It's when troubles come. And we would like to think that that will never happen to us. <laughs> that diagnosis would never happen to us. That we would never struggle to conceive. Our kids are going to be perfect, right? That our marriage would be sound. You would never lose your job. That your plans would complete to the finish line the way that you hoped it. The reality is, is that that's not how it happens. And I think we have this human propensity to react mm -hmm. instead of respond. And so what we want to tell you, and the tip that we want to give as we're trying to navigate in life is this. Commit to cultivate your life today. Not tomorrow, not the next week, but do what you need to do today. So recently I've been studying Matthew 13, and you can open up to that if you'd like. I'm not going to read the scripture. I'll paraphrase uh, the majority or all of it, really, to be honest. But go home and and read it for yourself and, and uh, really hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. But as I was studying this scripture, what it's all about is Jesus is sharing a story to the crowd and then also to disciples about four different types of ground or conditions. And I would say this, it's conditions of your heart or it's areas in your life. And if we read Matthew 13 and we go ahead and, and listen to the words and, and really ask God, what is he trying to say? What I feel what the Lord was speaking to me is this, is are these types of grounds uh, ground within your life? And so let me just tell you about the four really quick. The four grounds are this. Is the first ground is all about the path and the birds. The second ground is the rocky ground. The third ground is the thorny ground. And then finally, the last ground is the cultivated. It's the good ground. Now, let me just break that down for you a little bit, and, and let me just kind of hit you where it hurts. If I can, I do that. I uh, do whatever you want. I get to leave. Uh, <laughs> how many times you've ever read scripture and you're like, "Thank God, it's not speaking about me." When I've read this in the past, and I think about the gardener. And how he's sowing seed. And it said the gardener sowed seed onto the path. Okay, how many are gardeners? You got green thumbs in here, okay? 
Uh, how many would agree with me that as a gardener, um, you are very intentional in where you sow your seed? Anybody ever like re, um, you know, kind of re, I don't want, it's totally the wrong word, refurbished your grass? That doesn't, <laughs> reseeded, reseeded your grass? Okay, I don't, I don't really have a green thumb, but I do reseed my grass from time to time. I'm very intentional in where I throw that seed. Okay, so now keep that in your mind. The gardener throws seed upon the path. Okay? I'm going to ask you this. What if God is throwing seed on your path? What if he's throwing it on your plan? What if God wants to cultivate something extremely special by re-diverting your plan and inviting you into his? But I know how it is. I know how it is because I read the scripture the same way. Mostly, <laughs> I usually do this. I focus on the birds. I don't focus on my plans. I don't, I don't focus on my own path because I'd rather just blame it on the devil. I would rather think, well, no, I didn't really, you know, this, this, the fruit didn't really cultivate in this area of my life. It wasn't because not me. Not me. It's Satan. And so I would just suggest to you that if we're going to cultivate something today, if we're going to make the move today, what we would do is it'd be willing to submit even our own plans. Mm-hmm. The rocky ground, you know, obviously, here's the deal. Um, troubles come. And there's certain attitudes and perspectives that maybe God is asking us to just turn up a little bit. Are there those types of areas in our life? And then the thorny. Thorny, I like this one. This one really kind of hits me hard. Or at least a few other people I know. <laughs> when Jesus explains that part of the, of the scripture about how the seed was thrown in the thorns and the thorns kind of squelched the growth uh, of this fruit or uh, plant, and then he goes and explains, he says, it's the concern and the de- deceiving notion of the wealth of the world. Some of you are sitting here today and you're like, well, thank God I'm not wealthy. <laughs> I don't have any money. I want to suggest to you is don't stop there. Look in the mirror, the spiritual condition of your heart and ask yourself this question. What wealth am I leaning on that I'm not trusting God Some of you, you're just relationally wealthy today. You're surrounded by the 17 kids you chose to have. (laughs) Some of you are emotionally wealthy. Do you get what I'm saying? And sometimes what we do is we fill up certain areas of our life where we kind of just say, no, God, I know you want to cultivate trust and hope and, and spiritually cultivate us in this area. But you know, we got this part of our life. And I would just suggest to you that God wants to cultivate every aspect of your life. And don't wait till the troubles come. Because God desires for us to have good ground. Pretty good word, my friend. (laughs) So overseed was the word you were going for there? I was going for overseed. (laughs) So... My question to you, Scott, as we try to take a little bit of a deeper dive into this little six-minute clip or so, uh, what's your gut reaction? I tell you what, the thing that stood out to me when I listened to this clip is 
I have not considered until this message the idea that those four those four places that the farmer places the seed are all in me and all in me currently. So I would have said, well, there's points in my life where I was the path and there's points in my life where I was the rocky ground or there's points. And so I would have not gone to the place and maybe understood or thought about the fact that those are all things that not only are true at those points, but are true right now. And it kind of leads to a different thought process. When you, when you associate the idea of instead of a path, my path, instead of we talk about the shallow ground, just the fact that troubles are going to come. Instead of these being these off ideas, these out there thoughts, instead all of a sudden they start to hit my reality. If God is the gardener, okay, one could suppose he's very intentional where the seed lands. Makes sense. If you are gardening, the last thing you're going to do is just go throw seed anywhere. That's right. So when I read this parable, it's hard for me to not think that the seed is falling beside this path with intentionality. This is where you are getting that I didn't get, which is it felt willy nilly to me. It felt like, well, he's just grabbing handfuls and chucking it and it's ending up in these random spots. And instead, your point of intentionality is something that is really where I didn't get to in the scripture and your message really did. Even taking the idea of the thorns, not just the wealth of this world, but then digging deeper into, I mean, statistically, if you make $32,000 a year, you're in the top 1% in the world. So we can all embrace the wealth of the world, but also maybe embracing some other things, the idea of relationships, the idea of, of some other areas where wealth is, some other areas where you have things you're relying on, and God spreading the seed in those places too. Let's have an honest moment here. If there is a thorny area in my life, I want to be honest with you. You know where I'm really wealthy and purpose. Mm. Tell me more about that. So <laughs> we're planning a church. Okay. So you've got a vision and a goal and something in front of you With that's purpose. big. Okay. If, if I'm allowing God to begin to read me, if I'm allowing for that seed to take hold, I have to be awfully honest with where I could start idolizing a purpose over God. Especially in something that is viewed as valuable. And it's, good. It's important. Tell me how, if that's something that's there, you have this, this wealth of or excess of purpose, what's something you can do to try to help keep that in check or how to try to help rely on God or try to help make this not a, a challenge or an issue in the future. Let's go back to Egypt. Okay. The Israelites became a cog in an economic machine. Okay. We're talking Exodus right now. Exodus. Okay. Thank you. 400 years of slavery. God delivers them. Mm -hmm. And then he says, here are some concepts. Here are what we call today as law. Here are some commandments. Mm -hmm. One of those, I believe, 
were really spoken into these people specifically to begin to train them how not to be machines anymore. Okay. Tell me about that. And that's what I would say would be the Sabbath. What's interesting to me is the Sabbath seems to me to be the one commandment that is optional. Now, it's not optional, but we live and breathe and act like it's optional. Now, I've known you for a long time, and I'm fortunate to be able to say confidently you've never killed anybody. Not yet. You know, give it time. (laughs) There's other things, like just in knowing you and knowing who you are. But for some reason, for me personally, and this is a conversation Jamie and I've had, this is a conversation you and I've had, which is culturally, the American church has decided the Sabbath is a is an afterthought. It's, uh, I don't know, it's unimportant. It's minimal. It's the least important of the commandments. And I don't really get that. I don't get why we've gotten to that point. I don't get why culturally we've decided. And like back to your cog point, I mean, look at us as a culture right now. We've basically embraced what they were in Egypt. The average, just reading an article, and I'm going to do a bad job quoting this, but I think the average American works like 66 hours a week or some ridiculous number like that because of our phone availability and all these other things. I mean, how's that not a cog? How's that not back to that place? I've never thought of how important the Sabbath probably was in helping them restore. How important is it to us right now to remember who really is in control? And fortunately for all of us, it ain't us. In my season now, I'll be honest, I am out of rhythm. Mm -hmm. Which we can all understand. Totally out of rhythm because it's starting something new. So, yeah, I mean, yes, I, let, let me just, I felt like I was being honest, but I was being too literal. Yes, the Sabbath is something that for the sake of purpose, I will just say, you know what, at this point in my life, I'll let that be. I won't care as much about the rhythm of pausing because I have purpose. And that in a long-term scenario, I think can get really dangerous. Well, it's the thorny ground. Yes. It's so interesting to look at it that way. Because even if when even when you label the idea of the wealth of the world, you explain that part in the clip that was used, everybody hears wealth of the world and automatically pictures money. And the Bible speaks a ton about money. The Bible speaks, Jesus speaks more about money than he does heaven and hell combined. But to then take it a step further and realize that the other pieces of the thorny ground might not be financial. So I had mentioned it's not about if troubles are going to come, but when troubles come. Hmm. It happened to you. No question. Tell us a little about, about that. Well, I'll be honest. I used to always believe that... In the world, there were lucky people and there were people who got bad news. And I just felt like there was these two groups of people because I felt like I saw families where everything was working out and I saw families where nothing was working out. And instead, what's really become very honest uh, in my heart and something that I, I believe is that there is no lucky people. The inevitable heartbreak will come and it might come in the form of a, of a job loss. It might come in the form of there's hurricane, I mean, a tornado's happening right now in Oklahoma and in Texas. I mean, it might come in the form of something happening in your family. I know uh, my, we had family members lose uh, newborn twins. 
36 minutes after they were born. So these things have happened. We've seen it. Uh, and so my view no longer is there are lucky people and there's those that aren't lucky. It's, it's the when is coming. And so for us, the when was uh, about 18 months ago. I was feeling fine, but my blood pressure was a little high when I went to the eye doctor. And so my wife made me go to the regular doctor and he took some blood tests and a handful of days later told me I had to go to the emergency room. So I had no symptoms. I was feeling fine. And instead I was in the emergency room being told that my kidneys had failed. And fast forward a handful of months and praise God, I was getting a kidney transplant. And when I fast forward that, when I think of this chunk, I think of this six month period from the point I got diagnosed to the point I got my kidney or a little less than six months. I will tell you that was probably the hardest stretch of my life or one of the hardest stretches of my life. And I promise you, my wife would say that for her, it was the hardest stretch of her life. And it's been sobering, uh, but it's also been really incredible on the other side. And I think it's always easier to hear people tell you about how good it is on the other side and how they kind of blow through the hard stuff. I will just tell you, I have never, I've never been more heartbroken in my life for the people around me and the people that I cared about and what was really important to me. And so during that season, during that six month time, I started doing something called dialysis. And dialysis is a machine where you basically they clean your blood for you. So I sit in a chair for four hours a day, three times a week. It takes about a half hour to get you on and a half hour to get you off. So by the, from the point I left my house to the point I got back was about six hours. And I would have to sit in this chair and basically not move. Didn't really have a choice. And so I first would try to do things like work or I would watch movies or I would listen to something. And that kind of didn't fill the space. And I was really fortunate that I had a handful of friends that came and visited me on a regular basis. And what I realized was as crummy as I felt and as crummy as the situation was, I was really fortunate. I was fortunate that I had people that cared about me. I was fortunate that I was most likely going to get a transplant and my six months of hell was going to be worth it. So last June, I had a kidney transplant and I thought that was the end of the hard part. And the weird thing is the worst day of that entire six months, I would say, was the day I got my kidney transplant. And the reason being is I had a great friend who donated his kidney to me. Really neat guy, just super humble, has lived a really neat life and just kind of lives the no regrets in all things, like just wants to move forward and do some cool things. And he, so we go in for our surgery at 7-ish a.m. Then they prep us both and they send us back. And I don't know, within minutes I'm sleeping, within minutes he's sleeping. And then they take out one of his kidneys, sew him up and put it into me. It's unbelievable. Medical world blows me away. I feel like we live in the future. So I am still pretty sick afterwards and I'm having a hard time with my blood pressure and I just feel terrible, just like garbage, as sick as I'd really felt the whole time. But what my nurse did a really terrible job of helping us understand was my blood pressure was supposed to be high. It helps the kidney do well and there's some really big positives. So instead, I feel like absolute garbage. And about midnight, everything snaps, everything works back into shape and I feel good. I go to sleep. And I wake up at 4.30 in the morning and my wife is looking at her phone and she has just sheer terror on her face. And we find out that Al in the middle of the night was not doing well. And so about the minute that I start feeling better, Al codes blue. Turns out that they had nicked him three times is the anticipation or there's three spots where he was internally bleeding. And they didn't know until he tried to stand up and he got really woozy and laid down and it was not good. And I'll be honest, my prayers during the entire time had really 
nothing to do with with me or my surgery and had everything to do with Al. I just I just pleaded with God that Al would be okay because I was in this predicament and there's nothing I could do to get out of it. I knew I was here, but he was voluntarily taking this step. And so my prayer, my hope, my everything was that Al would be okay. And it was really shattering and really hard for me to hear that he wasn't. Now, fortunately, Al goes to ICU for a few days. He's there for quite a while. And then four days later or whatnot, he gets out of the hospital. And Al to this day is doing fantastic. He kicked my butt at golf about a week and a half ago. His handicap's gotten better since the surgery. Mine's gotten worse. So he said I took all his bad golf shots. But just a neat guy in a neat situation. But the 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 time in my life where the when really kicked me in the butt was was then. Now, your story, that was your win. Probably my one of many wins probably that are around the corner, right? But it's not like you're still here though. Thank goodness. There's other scenarios, and I've seen it, where someone else's win, when their tragedy comes, and they lose one of their children, mm. what do they do with that big boulder in their ground or in their, in their, in their life? And I've seen it so many times. You talk, we're talking about the conditions of our heart, mm-hmm. the conditions of our spiritual state, our life state. I've seen it so many times when they come up to that big, massive boulder in their life, that tragedy. They stop and they can't move forward. And I guess what I'm trying to tell you and what I'm trying to say is this. What if God wants to cultivate right there? Mm. I'm trying to think the reference. I'm trying to think of the reference in the Old Testament. But God looks, I believe, at the Israelite people, and He says something like this: "Is my hand or is my arm too short?" And I think sometimes when we come into a scenario where it doesn't work out for us, there's something that happens in our life that is just absolutely tragic. That becomes the centerpiece of the rest of our life instead of an accent piece. Mm. And so when I, I have this picture of, of all four of these grounds or uh, conditions of the soil or where the seed is being sown, and I just want to present this idea. And again, this is just my opinion. What if you're the garden? What if your life is meant to be the garden? And in your garden, there's supposed to be a path. In your garden, there's supposed to be these beautiful accent, large rocks that are perfectly placed in the right area. And what if there's supposed to be roses? Mm. But they're all put in the right context. What if that's the picture that God wants us to see here? That none of this is that bad. But if we submit this to God, what could he do with it? But bring us back to the beginning. Mm. When life was simple. When we were kids. And all we could think about is, what are we going to do outside today? And the simple beauty of our ignorance 
But what if we were to say, God, you know what? I have had plans in my life. I've had certain paths. You know, I'm willing to submit that. I've had tragedy. I'm willing to just surrender my own emotions, my own discontent in the reality of whatever's come my way. What if even the thorny places, the wealthier areas of my life, what if I let you displace all of them and put it into this beautiful picture that we call a garden? What if that is what paradise is? What if that is what God is trying to do in our life, but it would take a lifetime to get there? Will we still follow Jesus? That's a challenge, my friend. I mean, that's that's such a powerful word and such a powerful word picture. I can genuinely say I don't think I can read this again in, in the way I probably have in the past, which is hoping and praying that I was the cultivated ground and knowing there were points where I was the others. But instead embracing and trusting that all those things are apart and in that submission, God could do really big things. I think the challenge for us, if we're going to dive deeper in this scripture, is there's no way that we're just one ground. That's right. That that's it's just that's reality. There right. it is. There is the word. <laughs> there is no way. So let's stop deceiving ourselves. Mm. Number two, let's just submit whatever comes our way. Let's keep on just following God. We may not understand it, but let's just keep following Jesus. I like it. And the only thing I would add to that is if we embrace and know that these these pieces of, of ground are in our lives, it should lead to some sympathy to the people going through some of these things. Because you can't sit on a high horse going, well, I'm the cultivated ground. I got this figured out. Mm-hmm. And that family over there doesn't. Instead, you realize and are honest with yourself that you're dealing with similar things. It probably leads to a little more sympathy as your brother and sister are walking through those tougher times. I think what I hear you saying is, <laughs> let's stop being that person who sits in church or listens to a podcast thinking, oh boy, I wish so-and-so would hear this. <laughs> I'm so guilty of that. That's like my move. Oh, yeah. And then I'll passively, aggressively be like, hey, Andy, did you hear this such and such podcast? It's really good. You should totally listen to it. Mm. In my like subtle way of encouraging you. Scott, thank you for having a conversation with me, diving deeper in a little five-minute message. And uh, we just hope, I think you would agree, we just hope that this would encourage people to maybe just go a little deeper. I like it. Peace out. Thank you so much for listening to the Echo Church podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please take just a second to share it with a friend or family member who might need to hear this word today. If you're feeling alone, lost, you have a question or need help with anything at all, please reach out to us. We are the echo.church slash contact. We'd love to help you no matter who you are or where you're at. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast and being part of the journey of Echo Church. This episode was produced and mixed by Just Hit Publish Productions.